The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, show of hands. Show of hands. Ready? No one likes to do this. But who here enjoys mixing it up in debates and arguments? Show of hands. Okay. Some of these I'm not surprised. A couple I'm actually, oh, really? Um, who here does everything possible to avoid confrontation and arguments? Okay. And then there's so many, there's some of you that you're so on that spectrum, you won't even raise your hand. Cause I just, I just looked and I'm like, well, you're in neither camp. So like, so you're really afraid of confrontation, even that question's confrontational to you, and so you don't want to do that. Um, you may or may not be shocked to find out that in high school, I was not voted prettiest eyes. I was shocked too. But I did win most argumentative. <laughs> Shocking, right? And... Uh, now, I would tell you, I think the Lord's done a, a good work there. He's really helped me refine that. But this isn't even about me. I want you to know that Jesus is confrontational. And you're going to see that. You're going to specifically see that through Luke chapter 20. Many times, I, I would say that there's, there are times that this, there's no need for arguments. There's just not. Specific examples. Just look at Facebook, <laughs> right? Now, it took me a while to learn that when that thing first came out. Uh, but I, now I just never engage in arguments there for the most part because no one's there to actually have their mind changed. They're only there to tell you what they believe and to figure out who their camps are, right? Now, I'm not saying that someone hasn't had their mind changed there. I just think it's, it's probably not the norm. But I think if we were to think about confrontation... There are times in your life, that, and you know this, that there is a time to take a stand, that you have to take a stand. It's so necessary to take a stand because of the extreme importance that the subject requires. And so that's what we're going to be seeing here at For the City Church throughout the next few weeks in Luke chapter 20. We're entering into where Jesus is going to, to be working with six confrontations, and Man, we could learn a lot about how he engages in arguments and debates. I don't think that's the point, but you still can learn much. Um, to paraphrase a, a poet named Diane Wikowski, she said this. She said, poetry is the art of saying what you mean, but disguising it. I think that's a great quote. I would say good music does that as well, right? Um, there's not a lot of it anymore. It's just so explicit. You're like, oh, I know what they're saying because it's a vulgar. Uh, but there would be ways. I, would, I remember my mom and dad being really against some of the music I would listen to. But then there would be other music they would be singing. And I'm like, if they only knew what that meant. Like, they don't know what that means. So they think it's okay. They thought they were shaking peach trees. That's actually not what it was about. But I would tell you this, Jesus' parables do the same thing. They, 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 in a sense, they hide some truth, right? And, but, but there are times where he tells a parable and it's like, oh, I know what he's saying and I don't like it. And that's what we're going to actually see today. Look with me at Luke 20, verses 1 through 8. Let's start there. It says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. Boy, I would like to take a half hour and talk about that. Because when we think gospel, generally what we think is life, death, resurrection. And you're like, oh, how's he preaching the gospel? He's not dead. He hasn't resurrected yet. 
So, so I love that we're explicit with the gospel, but I would tell you, man, the gospel is the kingdom of God. It's, it's that there's this creator God who is full of life and goodness, and there's this rebellious people, and he's calling everyone to repent and to believe the good news. What is the good news? Jesus Christ is the good news. He's the point, right? But that's not where we're going. The chief priest and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or, or who it is that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? So they had a little holy huddle. That's my wording. And, and they discussed it with one another saying, if, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> all the religious bigwigs are there, right? He's in Jerusalem, and they're asking Jesus, like, where do you get off riding into this city on a donkey? Where do you get off cleansing the temple? Where do you get off rebuking us? Where do you get off teaching the Bible to the people of God? Who do you think, and that's really what they're asking, who do you think you are? Right? You even called the temple my house. Who, who do you think you are? Where do you get this authority? Well, enough is enough. That's, that's really where they're at. Enough is enough. Jesus was outside the proper religious establishment according to them. Who's your rabbi, Jesus? That's really what they're asking because in that time, you had a rabbi who taught you now. You would work your way through the ranks. You'd become a rabbi and you would have your own following, but you'd be pointing back to another rabbi saying, this is where I learned. It's kind of like seminary degrees or ordination from a good church that has a, a people of elders that would say, yes, we believe this man's qualified, that he's called, that he's biblically accurate, that his character matches up. Yes, this man's a pastor. Otherwise, and you can do this now. I know someone who did. You can just go get uh, ordination uh, or the ability to do a wedding from a Cracker Jack box. I mean, it doesn't even matter, right? And so they're trying to keep that from happening, but that's not why they're asking this question. He's causing them real problems, Jesus is. And I love how Jesus did not answer them directly, right? Instead, he, he turned the question around and he, he asked them a question about John's baptism. Well, what about his authority? So he said, was it from heaven? He means, was it God sent or was it from man, human origin? Did he just do these things untethered without any approval? This is strategically brilliant because Jesus is actually putting them in a position where I'm going to show you you're not actually asking the question you're asking. You're cowards. And so now you've got to answer it. And you've got to answer it in front of everybody. And they refuse to. And so then he says, well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> frustrating, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a frustrating moment for these guys. Now, the, Jesus is not done with them. And so he says, but let me tell you a story. And, and look at the parable he's going to tell. But, but before we get that, let, let me just say this. The reason it's so good that he asked this question, because if they say, yeah, it, okay, it, it came, John's authority came from heaven, then Jesus would just say, then why don't you believe what he said? 
And let's just look at what he did say in one text. It's John chapter 1, verses 28 through 34. It's a big text, but I'm going to read it. I'm not even going to give any commentary. You can see what, what Jesus is getting at. If you believe that John's a prophet, meaning his words are God's words, then let's look at his words. And, and here's what John said. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Jesus has always existed in his divine nature. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that he is the Son of God. Right? So, okay, guys. If you're, you're all about John, then you're saying, John, he didn't, I mean, who did he learn from? Oh, the Lord, because he's a prophet. And if you're cool with him, then why don't you believe him? And this happens all the time. People say, yeah, I'm cool with the Bible. But, but, but it doesn't show you're cool with the Bible in the way you live, right? There's inconsistency, and that's exactly what's happening here. This would mean that Jesus, if they believed John, then he would have the authority to do these things. Why? Because he is absolute authority. You don't need somebody's approval. He's God, right? Therefore, everything he says has authority. You might not give it that way, but it doesn't change the temperature of his authority. He is absolute authority because he is absolute authority because he's absolute reality. And so here we are. We have to face this. But if they said that, that John's authority was not divine or it didn't come from God, then Jesus could simply just say, well, then you're not even in a position to understand what truth is. And the people would know it, right? Because they knew John. And so it's checkmate for these guys. He just puts them right into a position where answer. And, and look, they, they're so squirmy. They don't. They don't answer. He exposes them for what they really are. They're liars. They're cowards. They're really politicians. And if you want to see this, just watch the debates. And I don't care if it's a donkey or an elephant or a platypus, right? Um, you watch the debates going on right now and throughout the year. You're just going to see people who actually don't answer questions. And, and they're just so self-protective because they're calculating. That might affect my you know, campaign in a very negative way. And you're like, I thought we weren't going to talk about all these things. I'm, I'm not. I'm showing you how slippery these guys are. These men are supposed to represent God. That means they're supposed to represent truth. That means they're supposed to be forthright in their, their answers, even if the audience don't like it. But that's not the guys that these are. And he exposes them. And Jesus said to them, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. By the way, side note, um, pastors have and authority. But can I just tell you right now, our authority is on loan. And really, if you pushed it, we don't have authority outside the Bible. Meaning, 
as an elder or as a pastor, if we're instructing you in life, we better have open hearts and open Bibles and be able to say to you the Word of God says, not just, I believe or I feel. I don't, I don't care what actually a, a pastor feels or believes unless I can see it in the Word, right? That's why it's so important you know the Word so that you don't get led astray by like weird teaching and all these different things. You need to know the Word of God. So like when, when people at For the City Church would talk about Bible, I hope that they say the Bible says, not Scott says or Kevin says, because at the end of the day, unless you can see it in the Scripture, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter, right? But these guys, they're asking Jesus about authority. And Jesus is going to say, well, let's talk about the word. Let's talk about the word. Because even Jesus, who is absolute authority, is going to point back to the Old Testament. And he's going to say, okay, this is your authority. This is what you believe. Well, let's look at that. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss the Bible. So he does. And oh my. Luke 29 through 19, he continues. And he began to tell them the parable, the people, this parable. A man planted, planted a vineyard. You could say the, the vineyard or the vineyard is Israel, right? Just to help you think through this. And let out, let it out, lent it out to tenants. And, and that's, that's its leaders, right? The, the people had leaders to watch over them and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant, and that's really the prophets, to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. That's not very kind. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And look, he says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to the others. When they heard this, they said, surely not feel this, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. <laughs> But they feared the people. I laugh because it's like, well, here's your sign, right? Yes, light has shone on Marblehead. You got it right. He's definitely saying, you're the tenants that are killing the prophets. You kill John was killed, and you're going to kill me. Jesus is saying, you're going to kill me. I'm the beloved son, and I'm coming to tell you, and you want nothing to do with the truth. Why? Because you wrongly think that God's people, the vineyard, are there for your benefit. And, and they're making a mockery of it. They have a den of, of robbers. They're abusing God's people. They're getting money from them. They're abusing them. They're taking all these things. Why? Because they don't understand it's not yours. You're a steward, right? And, and we, we can do that, but let's not get to us too quick. When I read that, it's like, whoa, 
Right? Well, in one short parable, Jesus just told the sad story of Israel's history. He did. I mean, the, the heart of this parable is just a stinging indictment of the leaders of, of Jerusalem about their spiritual abuse over and over and over again. It, it reflects their hard-heartedness. It reflects their stiff neck. It reflects that they don't want actually anything to do with the God who is the God of grace and mercy and steadfast and full love. They're actually just using God to benefit themselves. I'm not saying that there weren't great leaders who loved God and didn't do that, but I'm saying as a whole, right now, as a representation of this establishment, that's what's happening. And Jesus is done. And, and, and I love how he says, by the way, time's up, guys. We're going to give it to the others. Who's the others? Uh, well, essentially, I would say it's the, the apostles. It's the followers of Jesus Christ. And they're quite a motley crew, right? If you just think through Luke, they, they didn't wash their hands ceremonially. They didn't do all the things. They ate grain heads on the Sabbath. Ooh, such rule breakers. And this rabble is going to now be leading my people. Oh, how offensive that would be. Don't miss God's loving forbearance and patience either towards a rebellious and sinful people. Um, I mean, this has been going on and on and on within Israel's leadership. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to turn from their wicked ways. And he is so patient, which is good news for us who have people in our lives who don't know and or do know the truth and don't want the truth. He's just so patient. He's so patient. Why? Because he longs for them to come to repentance. But there comes a day where it's like no more. And, and that's what they're facing right now. Martin Luther said this. He said, if I, and it was about this text. He said, if I were God and the world had treated me as it had treated him, I would kick the wretched things to pieces. And if you're reading and understanding the Bible, don't you feel that? I mean, you feel that. I'm thankful that we're not, or that God's not like us. <laughs> not in that way, right? Yes, we're image bearers, and, and there are pieces that we could point to, but he's completely perfect. He's holy. He's completely set apart in that way. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace and justice. Well, Spurgeon said this on that same exact conversation. He said, if you reject him, meaning Jesus, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. Whew. Whew. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. I want you to know, we, we can actually know kind of some of these things, how it turns out, right? Like, <gasps> these poor leaders. Many of these leaders are going to repent when Peter stands up at Pentecost and preaches, and he's going to say, you killed them, and their hearts will be cut, and they will repent, and they will believe, and they will get in line with the king, and they will take the gospel to their neighbors, to the nations. So, and, and we'll see that as we go through uh, an overview of Acts starting in the fall. But look at 17 and 18 again, right? Feel the intensity. He looks directly at them, and he said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Um, there's, there's a play on words here that you actually can't see in the English or the Greek, and you're like, ooh, you're so smart. Nope, I would never see it either, but there are smart people who have, and, and they've taken this, wor- this word sun and stone, and in the Hebrew and Aramaic, it, it's, it's ben and eben. And, and what he's saying is, if you reject the stone in the Old Testament, now you're rejecting the sun. And, and if you reject those, then this is what happens. So the, these Hebrew scholars would know that. They would know that. He would say, he's pointing back to a particular psalm, and he's saying, that's you. And I can't get into all the details of that psalm, but that psalm actually was talking about how the Gentile nations were going to reject this and Israel would receive it. He's like, you're missing the point. You're rejecting me and you're going to miss it and the Gentiles are going to get it. He's provoking them. He's provoking them to what? To, To face the fact that, and this is the point, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone upon which you will build your life or upon which you will be broken. Uh, take option C. There isn't one. There's no option C. Well, could we talk about it? I mean, sure, but the options are still the same, right? There's no choice for any humans. You must deal with Jesus. You might say, well, I'm not going to deal with him in this lifetime, but you're still going to have to deal with him. You're still going to have to face him, right? You must either receive him or reject him. There, there, there can be no middle ground, We'd like to think there's middle ground. There's not. He's either the rejected stone or he is the received beloved son. And you say, well, I'm cool with Jesus. I just, I don't really like the church and all the little rules and the different things like that. So, no thanks. Jesus sees his church as himself. It's his bride. They're one. When the apostle Paul was, was confronted by King Jesus... Jesus says, why do you persecute? He says, me. Me. Apostle Paul, probably in that moment, would have been like, which was Saul of Tarsus. He would be like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. I'm authorizing Christians to be put to death. But Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Which means if you mess with my people, you mess with me. It's no different, although I guess it's wildly different, than Jesse and I. If you insult my wife, I'm insulted. Why? Because she's my wife, right? Now, I might be able to work through that, and we can have that discussion, but, but we're one. Oh, if we could just see this is how Jesus thinks about you. <laughs> he loves you w- with a greater love than what I love Jess, right? And that goes for all married people in this room. Um, if you mess with his bride, you mess with him. and He's not going to have that. So you have to deal with him. You have to deal with him. Sometimes rejecting God takes a much more passive approach for people, though. And do you know what I mean? Like, they just ignore God, even though he screams in their face all day through creation and through other ways. And they deny him. And and they say, well, I'm I'm okay with, with Jesus. Well, that decision to passively ignore him has the same consequences as someone who just gives him the bird. And can I just tell you that, that rejecting Jesus, the beloved son, has major 
ramifications for your eternal life. I don't think that's hard for us to grasp. But can I just tell you it has major ramifications that are negative in your life right now? Because I think sometimes we, we don't think that's reality, but it is reality. See, the image of Jesus Christ as our cornerstone is often lost on us because we don't actually grasp the meaning of it. Right? I, I went to a church one time. It's called Cornerstone. I was very new to Christianity. I didn't even understand that. We sung a song about Cornerstone. I'm like, oh, they really like this Cornerstone thing. I, I didn't understand it. But if you'll think about it, and, and if you and I could just all teleport right now to Israel, that's not a real thing, but if we could do that, you would see there are stones everywhere. Big stones, right? Buildings carved out of stone. We, we don't get this because we live in a really young country. America is very young. Some of you think Kmart's old. Some of you don't even know what Kmart is. Some of you have never been in a Kmart, right? Um, I look around. We've got homes built in the 1800s, late 1800s, and we think that's really old. I mean, I guess compared to a new development, it is, but it's relatively, it's relatively new, you know, you, you talk to most young people, they say 30s old. You talk to a teenager, they say 20s old. Why do I say that? Because here's the deal. In an ancient country, if we went to Israel, you would see buildings that are so old, <laughs> right? There's a church in Israel that was built in, in AD 335 that looks better than some of the homes that were built in the 1920s here. I don't say that to insult anybody. It's just they knew the value of getting a good cornerstone. They knew the value of getting a really good foundation. They understood that, the, that what we picked to build this thing on matters, right? Matters greatly. And if we don't get a good foundation, sure, it'll look nice for a while. We can put the for sale sign out. People will buy it. But eventually, the foundation will crack and everything's out of whack. And eventually, they're going to have to probably tear that thing down because it just will not stand. That's, that's cornerstone. Think that way, right? Why? Because a cornerstone, all the weight of everything rests on it. It rests on it. And it gives alignment to everything. So if you, if you think about it that way, okay, Jesus is saying, you will build your life upon me and I can handle the weight and I will give alignment to your entire life that will affect not just your eternity, but your everyday life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's you're building your life on absolute reality. Okay, so if we think of it that way, it begins to make sense. And what a beautiful picture that Christ is giving us. So my encouragement to you is, it's very simple. Build your life upon the truth of God's word, namely Christ, who he says he is, who he actually is, his life, his death, his resurrection. Allow him to direct the entirety of your life, not just your Sunday morning, not just on your missional community day. By the way, if you don't do this, if you don't build your life upon a strong foundation, everything will be out of whack eventually. It's, it just will. You're like, well, I know people who don't love Jesus, and they look like they're doing pretty well. And they might be. They might be. But they will face the cornerstone, and they will either be broken, or they will say, I have received just consider for a moment. Now, we're getting into a talk about identity. And the reason is because the parable was for the leaders of Israel at that time. I'm looking around, yep, none of you. So what do we learn from this text? 
How can we understand it in a way that might benefit our lives beyond just understanding the context in that moment? I would tell you this. I really want to encourage you to build your life upon Christ, not just profess to say you love Jesus and that Jesus loves you. That's beautiful. That's where it all begins, but to actually engage him in every way. So when I begin to think about life and identity, there's three main questions all humanity has to answer in order to have stability of life. And and I'm telling you, it's true for all people, right? Challenge me if not at lunch. I'd like to debate, remember. So, and I'll be kind about it. The first question is, you've got to answer, who am I? Who am I? Right? So the question becomes, who are you? The the next question everyone's really asking, even though they might not explicitly say it, who are we or who's my community? Who's my people? Who's my tribe? What's my gang? Right? You might think of it that way. The third question every human needs to answer is, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What do I exist for? Why do I exist? And I think these three questions fundamentally need to happen in the life of someone to have any stability of life. And I'm telling you right now, Christianity answers these so explicitly and so easily that you can build your life on that reality. And, and if, if you don't have Christ as your cornerstone, you're going to get all wacky on these questions. Just look at the world, right? And I don't, I don't say that like, just look at the world. I say that with compassion. They, they need this. I have people I deeply love who need this foundation. It's not an information problem. It's a, trans, it's a transformation problem. They know the right answers, but they don't believe the right answers. And you can tell. Why? Because their life's out of alignment. There's no stability to it. See, these fundamental questions have to be answered, and they're so life-shaping. Um, tragically, we do. We live in a world that does not know how to answer these questions. And you can just see it. And because of that, it's so out of alignment. However, I would say this. It does not stop the world from trying to answer these questions. They do try to answer them. Our culture talks a lot about identity. It just doesn't use that word. The words they use are self-image and self-esteem, right? And, And you can just see this language all over the place if you pay attention. And the consequences of the blind leading the blind, which is the world we live in right now. By the way, don't think this is new time. Read the Bible is that there's, there's tons of anxiety, tons of depression, and overall it's just destruction. And we're seeing it. We're seeing the fabric of it unravel right now, if you pay attention. And you might be afraid. I would tell you, I get that. Cast your fear and anxiety upon King Jesus because he knows you, he loves you, he's the God of all grace, and he will affirm you, he will confirm you, he will give you stability because he'll say, you're in me, and if you're in me, all is well. Run to me. Find shelter in me. Remember your foundation. Nothing can shake this, right? Nothing can shake him. But the reason the problem exists is because the world, creation, is at war with its creator. It's not more complicated than that. Um, Therefore, they don't understand who they are as humans, as image bearers of God, and instead attempt to define themselves. Okay, and, and they can do that by a number of things. And when I say they, I mean, I did this for years until the Lord saved me. So once again, I get it. But I would submit to you that the Bible answers these with vivid clarity. And I'm going to answer them with clarity from the word right now. 
Okay, so who are you? Well, we could answer that in a lot of different ways, but I'm going to say you are, if, in, if you're in Christ, I mean, repent and believe, trusting in King Jesus for your salvation. You're a child of God. You have been removed from the domain of darkness and transferred into his kingdom of his beloved son. You're safe. You're secure. You're forgiven. But instead of me answering it, let's look at the Bible. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, the apostle Paul is going to give many answers to that question. Now remember, this is for the Christian, those who believe in King Jesus. If you're like, well, I don't believe in King Jesus. This, I'm saying kindly, is not for you. It could be for you. How do I receive that? Believe in Christ. Trust him. But let's look at the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So you're blessed (laughs) With, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. So you're chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You're holy. You're blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption. You're predestined, you're adopted to himself as sons, sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. So you're redeemed. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, so you're forgiven. According to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. So you're united to Christ forever, fully, finally, forever in all things that in heaven and on things on earth in him, we have obtained an inheritance. So you're an inheritor of all that God has, which is everything. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. So you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Can I just, I'm just going to say them again. You're blessed. You're cho- you might say, oh, I, f- I don't feel blessed. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You're predestined. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're inheritors. You're sealed with the very presence of God so that we will never be alone to the praise of his glory, to magnify the great name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. That's who you are. I don't feel that. Change your feelings. How do you change your feelings? By truth. And you ask the Holy Spirit's help and guidance and empowerment to believe truth, absolute reality. Your feelings lie. No one, Paul Tripp says, no one talks to themselves more than themselves. And that is so true. I guarantee there's not a a person you conversate more with than yourself. You need to learn to preach truth to yourself. You need to learn to understand truth so that you can say, I'm thinking all these really bad thoughts. And then the the counseling world, which can be very helpful, but sometimes not, tells you, oh, you just need to think better of yourself. Actually, you need to understand, you're not all that great. I'm not all that great. Oh, that doesn't make me feel good. Well, how does it make you feel to know that Jesus Christ died to save weak, ungodly sinners, and now he brings them into the family, and he says, I love you. (laughs) 
When did you start loving me? Long before you loved me. While you were warring against me, I died to save you. You're mine. You're my beloved. Right? That's who we are. It's who we are. Individually, collectively, this is who we are. Well, who's your community? Once again, it's not rocket science, but it, we're stones, parts, family members of one another who is in Christ. We belong to one another. This is why I just have no, I have lots of time to have the discussion. I have lots of patience to work through it. But after working through it, if you say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. I'm like, I don't know if you do. Because really what you're saying is, I just want saved. I just don't want, oh, what Jesus wants. Meaning, if, if you're in the army, then you should go to training camp or boot camp. And you should have a platoon and a people that you belong to. And let's go further. If they go to war, you go to war, unless there's a reason you don't go to war. And, and, and you're like, well, no, I, I'm in the army. Where did you go to basic? I didn't go to basic. Awkward. Um, who's your people? I don't have a people. Where did, did you go to war? I didn't go to war. Well, why do you say you're in the army? Well, because I found this t-shirt at the Goodwill and it says army. You're not in the army. Or you're AWOL. Something's wrong, right? If I cut my finger off right now, first off, that'd be a wild Sunday. You'd all be talking about it. And I threw it out in the hallway. Is that finger a part of my body? No, it's not. It might have been at one time, but it no longer is. And so what it means to belong is to be connected to who? Christ who is the head and one another. This is who we are. We're God's people. We're his church. We're his beloved. We are family. We are family. All right, I'll quit. What's your purpose? Everybody wants to know this. Can I just tell you, you don't need to ask God to reveal your purpose. He has revealed your purpose. What is it? Well, you're a holy temple. We, we're going to read that in a moment. We're to, worship and to, we're to worship God, and we're to witness to the world. Why? To magnify the grace of God. So that he might be praised forever. That's why you exist. Everything you do in your life aims to that, or it doesn't aim to that. But if it doesn't aim to that, I want to encourage you, and this is why discipleship is so important and necessary, to, God, help me get to a place where my life's about you. It's not about me. And you think, well, that sounds like an awful life. Then I would say you've never experienced walking with God. Because it's the most freeing thing in the world. Why? Because I can love you even if you hate me because I don't need your love. Jesus says, love your enemies, right? Love's not so fickle like we like to think. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 with me. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Remember in Ephesians, in Ephesus, you had Greeks and Jews, and they're all coming together, and they're trying to figure out how do we do church now. We've always done it this way, and Gentiles are like, well, we never did it that way. And, and they're trying to figure this out, and Paul's saying the gospel has united you. You're one people, so that's the context. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So we're members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, there's that word, cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a, this is what we're growing into, a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
So this matters so greatly because if you and I get Jesus wrong, then you and I will get our identity wrong. And if you and I get our identity wrong, then you'll get your community wrong. And if you get your community wrong, you'll get your purpose wrong. You see how important it is to, to, to get a foundation in Christ and to build your life upon it. Not it. Strike that from the record. Upon him. Upon Christ, who is stunning reality. Friends, don't attempt to make anything else your cornerstone in life. It will highly disappoint you. Let, let me give you some things that the world is, and, 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 and even people in the, the body of Christ who are just out of alignment, right? Try to build their lives upon. And I've been here, I've done this, and, and it doesn't work. Don't try to build your life upon your career. <laughs> right? Whether you're blue collar, white collar, this collar, educated, street smart, whether you're on a roll or whether you're just a hustler, baby, right? Like, don't try to build your life upon your career. Enjoy your career. Give thanks for your career. Do it well to the glory of God, but it's not who you are. It might explain what you do, but it's not you, not your personality type. Whether you're an introvert, whether you're an extrovert, whether you're an Enneagram number four with a wing something, or whether you're from Hufflepuff house, or right? Not, not your personality. It might help explain, once again, who you are, but it's not a great place to build your life. Not your relationship status. Whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, whether you're wanting, whether you're widowed, these things explain you. They're not you. Whether it's parenting or, or even how you give birth. I mean, we'll fight over the craziest things. Whether it's natural, whether it's epidural, whether it's at a hospital, whether it's at home, whether it's in a tub, whether it's with orcas at SeaWorld, whether it's adoption, whether it's foster care, whatever. These things explain activity. They're not who you are. Whether it's your children's education, whether it be homeschool, public school, cyber school, private school, unschooling, don't school, do this, do that. Once again, you got tons of freedom in Christ to do these things as you build your life upon the cornerstone. Not your sexual pleasure or sexual identity. I'm not picking here. The LGBTQIA plus community is a people to be loved, but they're a confused community. That's not who they are. Their sexual identity is not who they are. This people that enjoy the same things, that's their community, but that community will fail them eventually, and they don't know why they exist. God has spoken it very plainly. Not beauty or friends, whether it's punk, jock, rock, emo, furry, being in the cool group, inclusive, exclusive, nice, on and on. One more, not fame or anything else, right? All of these things are sinking sand. Here's the thing. You aren't what you do or don't do. Stunning reality is you are everything that Christ has done in your place. Your righteousness isn't even your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. He's given it to you. You didn't make yourself get adopted into the family. He predestined to adopt you. He brought you in. This is who you are. Oh, my goodness. How much peace that brings to a, to a mind in a crazy world. And if you think we don't live in a crazy world, then I would say, wake up to reality. 
wake up to reality. It's a, it's a crazy world. And we need to understand the times we live in so that we can, just like we've been talking about, by God's grace, be signposts to point to the one who they can build their life upon. Because everybody needs this stunning reality of assurance of who they are, who their people is, and why they exist. And you and I, listen, friends, not in an arrogant way, but by grace, we know. We know the answer to the question they're longing to hear. And yet we're afraid often to share any of those things because they won't like us. And I would say, I used to always say, well, who cares? Well, I think that's too quick. But what I would say, it's okay. It's okay if they don't like us. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is perfect. Not everybody liked him. Spoiler alert, they killed him. So why are you going to be more nice than Jesus? And nice is a crappy way to live anyway. Because nice stands by idly while people go to hell. Why? Because I don't like confrontation. Get over yourself. I say that kindly. (laughs) I say know your identity. Know your cornerstone. Know who you are. Know whose you are. Know, Know why you exist. And then everything in life just makes sense. And you won't be tossed to and fro by every little thing that comes your way. What you do does not determine who you are. It explains at times who you are. Rather, who you are in Christ determines who you are and what you do. Right? I I also want to say this. We're out of time, but let me just take a moment. Um, This is important. You aren't what has been done to you either. I wish I had another hour. Because it's what it would take to do this well. So we'll pin it and probably come back to this. We've got to thread the needle carefully here. We live in a culture that often says what has happened to us is who I am. And I get how we get here. So I'm really, I want to be patient and understanding here. So then we become, we live in a victimhood mentality in America. And so, and we get stuck because of that, because this is what happened to me, therefore I am. Does that make sense? I understand that. That needs a lot of care and counsel, and I'm glad to help be a part of that and direct some of that if you need that. So if you're there, it's okay. It's okay, because that's where you're at. As a disciple, you can't stay there. So you're going to have to learn some things. And you may struggle with this forever. It doesn't change the reality of your God's chosen and beloved one ounce, okay? But there comes a place where you have to realize that even the things that were done to you are not you. Um, I could tell you story after story where I've experienced this with people, and it, it really kept them stuck from moving in in, in further into the grace of God. So if you're there, I guess here's how I'll say this. I brought that up because if you're there, some of you are there and you've told me you're there and we're working through that and praise God and prayer and time and the spirit at work through his word and others in the medical community helping you. Good job. Proud of you. Some of my heroes. Um, but there are probably others who have not expressed that. And if you need help or guidance, I'm glad to be a part of that help. 
But can I just tell you this right now? That you go from crisis into community, into healing. So the answer to most of the problems is right in this room. And there might be parts of the body we don't have yet, and so we need the greater church. But the body brings healing and alignment when, when, when it's really engaged. When it's really engaged. So that's, that's a side note. Um, some of you might not need that. Some of you may have. Friends, everything we just talked about are the fundamental truths that you and I can build our lives upon. Namely, who Christ is, what he has done, and what he is now currently doing in the world, and what he will be doing for all of eternity. Um, so, if you want to experience stability, joy, and peace, even in the midst of the worst of times, doesn't mean you won't be shaken at times, you will. And it doesn't mean your life will be full of sunshine and lollipops and care bears and shooting things out their belly. You, none of that's promised in the Bible, but it is promised you will suffer. So I'm not talking a prosperity gospel. What I am saying is trusting in Christ who, listen, was crushed in your place. And that's the point. Jesus Christ says, you either build your life upon me or you will be crushed by the stunning reality of who I am. Willingly went to a cross and he said, I'll take their, their punishment. And he was crushed in your place, so that you could be united to him forever. Oh, praise God. Worship him. Enjoy him. Get to know him. And my last exhortation is just be a part of the family. And if it's not here, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. But may it be somewhere that you fully engage. Why? Because when you do that, your life will have stability even if things are chaotic around you, and your life will have alignment. You'll have alignment. For how long? Forever. Forever. And we can trust him because he spoke it, and it's true. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.